one there we go should be about live now hello ladies and gentlemen boys and girls welcome to vux world i'm your host kane sims as always and as always we are lining up an epic conversation today with hamid nawab and ken sutton of your b hamid ken how are you doing doing well again thank you for having us good 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 very interesting uh very interesting product and company your b and um, we're going to be talking about uh, trying to crack the cocktail party problem, uh, which is we've kind of spoke about this in part in previous episodes. If anyone's tuned into some of the episodes we've done with the likes of Soundhound talking about uh, voice AI in noisy environments, and we've done episodes uh, with Deepgram talking about the exact same thing. How do you use things like acoustic modeling? to train speech recognition systems to be able to handle uh, noise in noisy environments. And, and with Soundhound, we've spoke about all kinds of stuff around, you know, using beamforming microphones and all this kind of stuff to try and uh, to try and deal with the problem. Um, it's, I think it sounds as though, correct me if I'm wrong, Yobi has a, a different approach to this. And I think an approach that would enhance both of those companies' offerings, uh, which sounds a bit cryptic. And trust me, all will be revealed as we get into it. And I know that Ken and Hamid are dying to get into it. So we will do it in just one second. But first, I want to uh, give a quick shout out to the Voice Summit, which is coming up in October. On October the 11th, VUX World is going to be at Voice Summit. We're running a conference within the conference, VUX at Voice 22, presented by Core AI. And we're going to be talking about how you can use conversational AI, NLP technologies to automate and streamline your customer experience, automate the customer experience and streamline your business operations. We've got Core AI as the presenting sponsor. We've got Cognigy are going to be there. We've got, um, who else have we got there? Vonage and Ericsson. We've got Poly AI and Landry's. We've got Speakeasy. Some really big news coming out of Speakeasy, which is going to be absolutely amazing. <clears throat> so we're going to teach you step-by-step -step how to automate your contact center using conversational AI. If you want to be there, in person it is an in-person event go to voicesummit.ai and you can use the promo code VUX20 to save 20% on your tickets voicesummit.ai and use VUX20 as a promo code and if you want to learn something a little bit sooner than that obviously this episode will teach you a hell of a lot but you can also join us next week on September the 1st where we're running a webinar with Cognigy in fact it's more of a workshop really where you need to come and roll your sleeves up and we're going to be diving into customer experience maturity so if you build out conversational AI applications or you're working in contact centers and customer experience roles generally speaking you want to try and figure out what it is that your team can begin doing more effectively to increase your maturity start scaling your solutions and deliver better customer experiences then this workshop is for you go to vux.com world forward slash Cognigy to find out more and register that is vux.world forward slash Cognigy c-o-g-n-i-g-y okay that's the beginning spiel over and done with Hamid Ken thank you for bearing with us there it's always a bit awkward when we do these live ones because uh, I can't I can't kind of make myself cover the screen and give you to a break a little bit um, <laughs> but we're, we're working on it uh, but I mentioned there I mentioned as, as we were kind of getting into this <clears throat> the, the cocktail party problem and uh, you know Yobi and the way that you're approaching uh, solving this is incredibly interesting I'm dying to get into this conversation but first maybe we'll kick off with uh, with a little bit of a background uh, in terms of yourselves and your your background and, and where you'll be come from and, and all that kind of stuff. So Ken, maybe we'll kick off with you uh, if you mind tell us a little bit about yourself, a bit about your you know your background and how you got to to Yobi, and then we'll then we'll cross over to you, Hamid. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it, Ken. So, so uh, I think appropriately, I, I should start off, and then we should end up with uh, with Hamid, um, which will give a, you know, a certain amount of gravity to the the science of, of the methodology to a certain degree. Um, 
you know, my background is a little unique from a tech, you know, entrepreneur tech founder standpoint. Actually, financier uh, by trade, worked in capital markets for a few years. Um, fell into Yobi through some experiments that a buddy and I were doing in the studio. And it was really around frequency manipulation um, that we came up with something that was, from an auditory standpoint, special. Um, it, you know, we, we coined it. Uh, we were doing for music and audio what HDTV did for SDTV. Um, it was this interesting kind of really robust spatial sound. Uh, and the roots of that came really with something that we were working on with my buddy's friend who is autistic. And it was just really around um, helping him feel more comfortable with certain acoustic type of sounds and frequencies in certain environments, like in a car where you have a lot of reflections and, and echoes. Um, so stumbled across something that was patentable and went through the patent process and found that we had a unique swatch of the frequency enhancement universe. Um, so, you know, uh, not being a, a signal processing professional or engineer, I thought this was going to be really easy for me to code out. We just create some software. We'll be able to let you get it on the app store and enhance your, your audio performance. And what we found was 85% of what we were doing was based on our intelligence and our understanding of the content itself. 15% was the actual process, right? And what we were doing in the special sauce. And so <clears throat> I started a quest to look for someone that could help us with that problem. And the universe was very small when it came down to scientists that had both signal processing uh, in their background, but also understood is applications you know, uh, partnering with artificial intelligence. And there were, I think, three people that <laughs> had access, and Hamid happened to be one. Um, I happened to be in Boston. He's in Boston. A buddy of mine is a professor uh, at BU. He teaches at BU. And so stars were aligning. <clears throat> and so reached out to Hamid with this unique problem. You know, can you automate this, this you know, special sauce we have around enhancing frequencies? Uh, and I'll let Hamid tell his side of the story, but what we found was what we thought was a frequency enhancement solution really ended up being a frequency repair solution, which is interesting. Right. So now you can actually use very aggressive signal processing in situations that you would normally corrode the signal of interest. But we had an interesting way in a kind of a broadcast studio methodology of post-producing that signal and building back in some of the things that we damaged through the aggressive signal processing. All of it being controlled by inferential AI that's making decisions, understanding what it's looking at from a, from a signal content. And when you put those three kind of pillars into one bucket, you have the artificial intelligence, you have some very aggressive signal processing methodologies and, and algorithms, and then you have this broadcast studio enhancement IP. Um, it was, you know, from a founder standpoint, it was lightning in a bottle. We found an interesting way to deal with, you know, the, you know, kind of issues you associate with the cocktail party problem. And we're doing it in a way, you know, nodding to our signal, uh, excuse me, our broadcast studio enhancement. We're doing it in a way that is uniquely suited to extract linguistic and biological markers from the audio uh, or from the signal. Right. So we are looking, our software is looking for where is the human part of the signal chain? So where is the biometrics in, in the signal? And then extracting it in a way that we preserve the linguistic markers you need specifically for human to machine interaction. Yes, of course, a byproduct is it sounds better. You know, some of our um, 
I'll be careful. Some of our three-letter agencies, DC relationships are using it for that particular purpose in the surveillance type of apparatus. Uh, but in for human to machine interface, we found an interesting value proposition that we can deal with high noise environments in the low SNR range, and we can extract that voice without creating artifacts that would normally damage or interfere with the accuracy associated with whoever the ASR or speech and text partner is on the back end. And so unique approach um, to a situation, but that's kind of the evolution of something that, you know, like most founders, we didn't, we're not doing what we started off doing. There was Mm -hmm. a few pivots along the way. um, And we pivoted just when the voice market was starting to get a little bit more ubiquitous with interface and leaving the convenience of your home and going into the real world uh, where accuracy and and acoustic dynamics are challenged. Right. Mm. And so that's kind of where we ended up. Mm. And Hamid, maybe it would be uh, nice for those who are not quite as into or in depth in terms of their knowledge on AI and signal processing in, in general to as you give us the kind of, you know, a bit of background about yourself and how you got involved with, with Joby, maybe first we should explain what the cocktail party problem is. Yes. Well, first of all, thank you for having me here, Kane. And uh, um, I would, uh, let me start with the cocktail party problem because in my parallel life in academia that uh, Ken alluded to, uh, I've always been fascinated by the cocktail party problem and its um, uh, companion problems that often take place in any kind of biological signal processing. That is, you have a lot of sources all at the same time competing uh, to, uh, to have your attention. And so in the, I guess going back to the 1950s, that's, that was the analogy made when, when in the 1950s, people first stumbled onto this issue of how do you get to listen to somebody specific when there is other sources of noise uh, in the same environment. And they thought of the cocktail party. So you're in a cocktail party, you're talking to someone, uh, and there's other people talking around you. And uh, we as humans are able uh, to, uh, if you will, beam into the person we want to listen to and uh, sort of exclude uh, the other sounds around us, whether they be music in the background, other people talking, maybe uh, the clink of glasses, etc. It is, after all, a cocktail party. But more generally, the cocktail party in the real world, uh, in my world generally uh, today, it's, it's not really a, I haven't been to, I, I don't think I've ever been to a cocktail party, but uh, <laughs> well, when I, when I do walk out on the street or if I um, go into uh, a store or a restaurant, there's all kinds of noise. And the question is, can an electronic device really understand you specifically in those real world environments? As opposed to, for example, in the comfort of your family room where perhaps you're the only one there as long as it's quiet enough, you don't have the TV blaring, uh, your smart speaker is able to pick, uh, pick up your voice. But if there is a TV there, kids playing around, etc., most of us have the experience of the smart speaker not doing a good job. And that is where we all have pretty much in this day and age encountered the so-called cocktail party uh, problem. Now, 
Mm-hmm. From a technical viewpoint, after all, I have my science and engineering background. I, I, I got to say that what these devices, whether it's a smart speaker or it's a smartphone, what you really have uh, in that case is two capabilities that are important. One is speech recognition and the other is speaker recognition. So speech recognition is what somebody's trying to, when the device is figure, trying to figure out what you're saying, and speaker recognition is when it's trying to figure out that it's actually you, i.e. who is speaking. So what is being spoken and who is speaking it? Those are two important capabilities that any good voice interface ought to have. Now, there's good technology out there for speech recognition and for speaker recognition. Good companies that do this, but generally they require you to talk into a, uh, a microphone that is close by your mouth. And that's in order to make sure that the dominant acoustic waves are from your voice, the person that is being listened to. Unfortunately, what makes that kind of technology not so good for the real world, where we might want to be hands-free, we don't want to wear a headset, we don't want to have a microphone sticking in our mouths all the time, the pr- problem is those technologies don't work because they've been developed for clean, relatively clean environments under the assumption that the microphone is close to your mouth. But nowadays, with smart speakers, with even phones, which we operate perhaps in speaker mode so that we can uh, place our phone on the table and, and have a conversation uh, while there is uh, the environmental noise all around us. How do we make that work? That's been something that for the past, I would say, 30 to 40 years has been of concern to people. And that, that's what scientific types like me refer to as the cocktail party problem. And it's been considered to be a very difficult problem. And as you alluded to yourself, it often involves things like, well, can we use uh, beamforming uh, in order to uh, sort of have the, the, the um, uh, device listen in a specific direction, for example, so that uh, you could cut out the noises coming from other directions. But that in itself doesn't solve the problem because when we talk in a room, for example, there are so many echoes. So even though I may be positioned in a particular direction relative to the device, echoes of my voice come from all kinds of, all different directions. And so beamforming is not effective. Beamforming by itself is not effective to address the cocktail party problem. So what I'll uh, sort of finish this off with is that what really brought Ken and I together to the, into this, as he mentioned, it, it started off with the, the, this uh, insight that there was a, a certain kind of frequency repair that you can do that can take care of aggressive signal processing. But when once we put our heads together, I think what really emerged is that we've got to have devices operate more like people do. So when I listen, what do I listen to? What, what, what is it if you focus on what we hear, how we tell, where, how we deal with the cocktail party problem as humans, we notice that uh, we are able to differentiate between so- sounds depending upon how far they are from us. So if I, if I talk to you from across the room versus I am standing right next to you, 
it's not just the loudness that can be different. Although if I'm across the room and I'm talking louder, uh, so that by the time you hear it, it's the same loudness level as what you hear when I'm right next to you, there is still a qualitative difference. And that qualitative difference has a, to do a lot, a lot to do with the acoustics. And I would just submit here that the one key thing beyond frequency repair that Yobi presents here, the reason we have made progress in cracking the real world uh, cocktail party problem is that we have developed algorithms for being able to perceive the distance of a source depending upon the kinds of acoustic waves that are emerging um, in the enclosed environment. The environment, whether the environment is a small room, a big room with glass, et cetera, you know, we, we don't need to know that. Our technology does not need to know which, what kind of room, how big that room is. There's no prior models. And that requires a combination of what Ken mentioned, sophisticated signal processing, and what we refer to as inferential artificial intelligence. Inferential as opposed to your classical machine learning, which involves a certain amount of training. And that's one more thing I would like to add to our discussion is the technology we've developed here does not require training data. It's not like we've got to go sample all kinds of environments in order to prepare uh, the algorithms. The algorithms use what we call inferential AI. They have the thinking mechanisms that you and I do as well. Um, and sometimes that falls under the banner of unsupervised learning. So our algorithms have unsupervised learning built into them. And that's a key to cracking the cocktail party problem. Interesting, wow. So there's a lot to unpack in that there then. There's, um, that was very useful as well. Thank you for that. Um, so you mentioned beamforming. A, mm -hmm. lot of, a lot of companies use, try and use beamforming to get a, a decent enough signal. Mic placement has traditionally been important as well. You know, um, I've got headphones that I run with and the mic placement on the headphones, is they're like earbuds. And the mic placement is on the outside of the earbud which means that whenever I'm talking to anybody ever, if anything goes past me, nobody can hear a word that I'm saying because the mics are facing, they're not facing my mouth, they're facing everything else. Um, but then obviously you've got other things like acoustic modeling and stuff like that. The, maybe to piggyback, maybe this is a signal processing part of it. Maybe we should clarify actually before that. I've got a, a question about this frequency repair stuff because I, I used to and still do, I suppose, make and edit audio and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm keen to get into some of that stuff. But maybe we should, before we move on, clarify what this means in terms of the output of this technology. Inferential AI, being able to distinguish what source, what noise source is closer or further away, being able to do sophisticated uh, frequency repair and signal processing on, on people's voices. What is it that that actually leads to? Ken, why is Yobi a company and not a, a, pay, a research paper um, that's yeah. discovered something new? Yeah, so, so, I'll, so I'll take it from the more of the product market fit standpoint. <clears throat> you know, a few years ago when we started the company, uh, we were doing our, you know, our, our discipling, going out to the market and talking about how difficult this problem was. Uh, and we didn't, you know, get the activity that we thought we should have gotten. And part of it was 
that the voice market hadn't matured to the point where there were more use cases where this was an issue, right? The smart speaker world had it pretty well figured out. You know, if I'm talking about one of the incumbents, they're using seven microphones with a reference signal for things that they're playing so they can cancel out their own media. Um, tons of beamforming you can throw at that problem. You're doing most of your computations in the cloud, right? We are, you know, we have a lot of tools to basically deal with those environmental challenges. But as, as well, House, houses are not that noisy. The odd hoover well, noise or yeah, kids I mean, screaming. Yeah, yeah, well, you know, we're going to have to give credit to incumbents, Kane. You know, in certain situations, they're very good, right? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. They're very good in certain situations and because they have the data and they have the ability to train on it because that's how, you know, the, the, the problem has been approached over the last few years. Um, but what we found was when you remove yourself from those tethered environments where you need something that has to work on the edge, and it has to work in real life situations like in, uh, you know, without talking about some of our engagements, if it's a first responder who has to have uh, a call inside of a, a scene, if it's in the military application where it is going to be loud noise, if it's inside of a cabin of a car where the echoes in the acoustic environment is an issue, um, if it's in a scenario like you're talking about your earbuds, what we haven't touched on at all here is it's not just a cocktail party problem that we're addressing. We've come up with an interesting solution for wind noise, which is not acoustic. There's physical interference, right? So that's a whole nother battery of issues. What happens when you take these solutions outside? Outside of the just the acoustic, you have the wind noise and the environmental noise with the end with those areas. So the use case is very simple. You know, if we were talking to a group of investors, I would never say the statement, which is the truth of the matter is if you're using voice. And having a clean voice signal, whether it be from an auditory input standpoint for humans or an analytics standpoint for a machine, you need the best and the most clear voice signal possible in which to run your analytics on, right? We're agnostic to what you're going to do with the voice signal after we give it to you, right? We are basically giving you the cleanest, most robust version of that signal with all of the data that you need trapped in it for you to run your analytics. So we, we talk about the cocktail party and I want to really focus on something Hamid talked about, which is the human part of it. If we think about what we do as human innately just on a single word. And, and I like to use this analogy and, and to Hamid's point, you know, sound like mad men. We said cocktail party problem. Um, but you're in an environment where there's acoustic challenge, whether it be a cocktail party problem or just a party. And someone walks into the venue and they scream fire. So what happens with that from a human standpoint. Well, I've already figured out where that person is geolocated to me. They're to my back, right shoulder, roughly 100 meters to the back. Got it. I figured out if it was an adult or if it was a child. I figured out if it was a man or a woman. I was able to hear over the noise, but more importantly, I was able to figure out if they were serious or they were joking. Mm. All of that happened in a split second with one word. And it's been our thesis that if we don't have clean enough data to pass to machines, we're basically giving signals to our backend artificial intelligent partners and asking them to operate this communication between human and machine with one hand tied behind their back. Because all of the data they need to get context and all the nuances that you need in conversational AI is already trapped in the signal, it's trapped in the voice. It's just the ability to extract it in a way that's useful is kind of where we put, put focused ourselves. So in any environment where, you know, you, you speak a lot about conversation AI, there, there's no more symbiotic relationship 
between industries and what we're doing on the front end and conversational AI platforms. There is a symbiosis there. We're taking care of the challenge, not in the back end and high computation. We're doing it on device, on the edge, and giving you raw data that you can basically use to your benefit in a way that allows you to pull out all these other markers, whether it be health detection and some of the more uh, eccentric things that people ask from our signal. Um, we prepare it in a way that allows you to do that. So the use cases are, are across the voice spectrum, but they're also at the forefront as we see where the voice UI platforms are moving into, um, into devices, into areas. And we see a lot of it going into enterprise where it's around just making mm -hmm. our workspace more effective and more efficient, where voice becomes an interesting way to get that accomplished. Mm. Interesting. So it is, it is, maybe people could think of it as a pre-processing piece of activity that happens before, for example, a speech recognition engine would run. So right now, what's happening if I say, hey, Siri, the microphone in my phone is picking up that that audio and immediately streaming that once I've said something to the cloud and the speech recognition is converting that into text and so on and so on. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but what we're saying yeah. here is that Yobi would sit on the device, do that initial bit of processing, clean up the audio, and then give the speech recognition system the audio, which gives it more chance of accurately transcribing the speech. Is that correct? Or do you also do the transcription? Well, Kane, if I can, if I can jump in here, the first of all, yeah, I'd yeah. like to make sure that, that uh, Ken knows this is a pet peeve of mine, uh, but one of the things we don't do is quote unquote clean up the speech because there's a lot of okay. different ways of cleaning up the the, the speech uh, which don't really compare to what we do uh, it's not cleaning okay. up the speech and i'll do this by analogy for example when you or i are in a cocktail party or in a noisy environment and we are listening to somebody specific it's not as if the rest of the world shuts down we're still listening to the rest of the world. It's still there, except it's a little bit in the background. The person that you are listening to comes to the, their voice comes to the foreground, at least in the foreground of our consciousness, a foreground of our hearing. And that's really what uh, uh, the uh, technology that we've developed uh, does. It pushes the voice of interest into the foreground. It is not trying to suppress everything else. And that pushing it to the foreground, and it does it just enough and in a way that is compatible with current speech recognizers and uh, speaker recognizers. And so, because at least if you get into the signal processing theory behind it all, there are time, time and frequency representations of the features that are used by all automatic speech recognizers as well as automatic speaker recognition systems. That in all of those, what you need is to make sure that those features are clean. And so when Ken was talking about those, um, the repair, frequency repair, it's perhaps the best way to say it, it's feature repair is to make sure that the features are not occluded and that they're cleanly presented to 
the uh, speech recognizer or the speaker recognizer. And that's, that's what we're doing. So the technology is a little bit more than just cleaning, which is why, for example, right. Ken mentioned that sometimes when you listen to it, uh, it may not sound like you've absolutely eliminated the background, but that's on purpose because that's, that's how people actually perceive. And once you try to take away too much of the noise, of the background, if you will, then it gives rise to unnatural phenomena that uh, right. affect not only human hearing, but also how uh, machines recognize both who is speaking as well as what they're saying. Right. Okay, then. So, so how, how do you get, and this is probably part of the secret sauce, like, but if you listen to any piece of audio, let's take a song, for example. If you listen to a song, the human brain if depending on whether you you know enjoy music to that degree, Ken, I know you've made music in that in the past, so your brain probably works like this quite easily, which is that you can listen to a song, and if you want to, you can just listen to the drums for the whole three minutes. And sometimes, this is what I do all the time, I'll listen to a song again, I'll just listen to the bass for the whole song, and then I'll just listen to the percussion, and then I'll just listen to the guitar, and all the time, I can never really, it's a pain, I think, of people who've made music in the past, is that you can never actually just listen to something without really listening to it. And so, and the human brain can do that, you can isolate the vocals if you want to, as you've said, Hamid, you know, you can uh, really focus your attention in certain areas. But when it when you get that signal into a audio production platform, like a digital audio workstation or something like that, if you try and isolate the piano within a, within a whole song, which has got a guitar in there and a bass in there and some vocals in there, it's absolutely impossible because there's so many overlapping frequencies with the rest of the music that you can't isolate the piano as hard as you try. So I suppose the question I'm getting around to is how do you work out from a, a, a stream of audio... I don't know whether this is best directed to you, Ken, or to you, Hamid. Well, I'll, I'll, you I'll answer it first, and then I'm going to let Hamid jump in and science it up. Um, yeah. So how, how, how do you find... From, a, from working yeah. in the docs, I'll answer it from, from a production broadcast, production, or not broadcast, but an audio production standpoint, hmm. and then Hamid can clean it. Here, here's almost the, the, the crooks of, of, of the solution from a Yobi standpoint. We are focusing specifically on voice. This is not sound classification in its classical sense. Right. We're looking for voice. And so what does that mean? That means that in the signal. Voice has a signature, there's DNA, there's a biomarker in the voice. When you try to separate at a frequency level, you're not getting to the root of the signal itself. So when you think about it from a voice standpoint, our solution is looking for the human biometrics. In the signal. That's what we use to lock and track onto that signal of interest. Now, because they're unique, my biometric signature is different than your biometric signature, different than Hamid's. Because they're unique, yeah, a byproduct of that is that we can toggle in between voices because we're looking at unique signatures. Whether we know who it is or not is irrelevant. Our three-letter agency clients, they don't have to know I'm surveilling three people and all three people are talking. And so they surveil that speaker one, speaker two, speaker three. The unique biometrics allows us to extract those signals in a way that we can tell who the different ones are. But this same methodology can be used for a string instrument, could be used for a horn, 
it's all about understanding what's the DNA of that signal and do you have a methodology to attach that DNA? So that's why in the studio, it's very hard to break with a lot of frequencies. That's why you can't separate voices in the studio. Mm. Good luck with that, right? Um, because they're living in the same frequency range, right? And so then I'll let him kind of talk to you about how we're using it from a Yobi standpoint and, and looking at biometrics. Yeah, no, I, th- I think Ken explained it well at that level. And, and But I would add to it one thing, that what uh, makes us as humans capable of doing this is fundamentally because we have two ears, two mm-hmm. microphones, and they're a certain distance apart. And, mm-hmm. you know, the way nature has worked it, there's a reason behind it as to why they are a certain distance uh, apart. And that allows us, it allows us not just to beamform, you know, we're not just walking beamformers. It gives us color to the, to the sound that comes through our ears. And so we can focus on different streams of sound that are coming in, whether uh, that is a, a voice or a non-voice. So as Ken correctly mentioned, we have the capability, you know, in our technology, we have focused on voice and figuring out which voice, you know, we want to focus on. If there are multiple voices, we can distinguish between them because of their individual uh, signatures. But what really helps there is having two ears, which means, and that we've seen this with our own algorithms, two microphones a certain distance apart give you a lot of leverage that you don't need additional microphones for. Now, there are smart speakers that use seven microphones and more, but that's just to compensate for what the algorithms are incapable of. Because we know there's an existence proof. Sorry to talk like a professor, but there is an existence proof. <laughs> That's all of us, right? We have two, two input channels, and we are able to figure out all kinds of things. How far somebody is, what, uh, to zoom in on a voice. Uh, most of us can tell, tell the difference between a voice and, let's say, the sound of a vacuum cleaner. Right? Nobody confuses a vacuum. You know, nobody tries to figure out what the what the linguistic markers are within the sound of a vacuum cleaner. You don't. You know. You just don't waste your time trying to do that, unless you purposely want to do that. That I guess that's a separate story. But in terms of our human capability, we are very much tuned to voice. And the, the nice thing mm-hmm. is because of all the research in speech, we have a very good idea of what speech is like. We know what the human vocal cords are like, what are, you know, what technically we call the vocal cavity, the mouth, the tongue moving around in there and all of that. It gives certain features that are very different from the way a vacuum cleaner produces sound or a guitar produces sound. The time scales, the the physiology is so different this, uh, that uh, we have found that you can focus on retrieving those signatures and all you need really is two microphones strategically placed, much like in a human. And you can develop algorithms that work really uh, efficiently to uh, separate the features of interest from those that are not of interest. and. As you uh, correctly pointed out, Kane, that uh, 
it is very hard when people try to isolate, that was the right word to use, when people try to isolate individual sounds. That is not what humans do or they are even not even capable of because that is not a natural thing for us to do. And an algorithm, on the other hand, algorithms that can move things into the foreground or into the background are much more relevant because that's how humans hear. And that's, that's what we have, in, in the case of uh, Yobi, we focused on getting the, uh, uh, the sounds moving back and forth adaptively as you listen. Mm. For example, if I'm listening to somebody who's walking around the room, they, they might uh, go different distances from me and I can still uh, focus on them. And that's because my hearing is adaptive. I can make them go into the foreground or background as needed. Uh, so that, that's, that's a very important part of the solution. Mm. When you mentioned there requiring two microphones, uh, does that always, I think we might be having a little bit of an issue with Hamid's, uh, Hamid's video there. Hopefully on the front end, people, uh, can still see, um, the whole two microphone thing, does, does that create, uh, kind of like restrictions on where Yobi can be used then, Ken? Do you always need to control that two mic arrangement and stuff like that? Or does it not, is that just like in an ideal world, but you can still run like on a phone with one mic or wherever yeah. sort of things? Well, okay. Most, most phones have two microphones on them. Smartphones, almost all smartphones have two or three microphones on them already. All right. Right. So, um, you know, I think the industry has figured out that, <laughs> multi-mic is the way to deal with voice, right? Mm -hmm. um, we do have legacy systems that are mono microphones. Uh, we focus on the two or more microphone scenario, uh, and there's tons of solutions out there for a single mic uh, type of a platform. And we have a single mic solution, but it's not as demonstrative as our, our, our two or more microphones. So the great thing about our solution is we don't need to know the relative form factor of the two microphone solution. Like, it's not like we have to preload it, which is the reason why for a lot of our software-centric customers that, you know, put Yobi into their SDK as part of their app or how they deploy it. We don't need to know that you have a Samsung, that you have an LG, that you have an HTC, and what is that model's mic configuration and how far. That's not of interest to us. We don't need to have that data. So um, uh, we do focus on those use cases where we can get two or more unique channels, if you would, Mm. Uh, because that's where our, you know, if, we, if you go back to the foundation of human hearing being kind of the methodology, um, you know, the, the, we, we use two or more microphones um, to, to the full extent of our capabilities. Single mic, a little less um, because it's just not you know, a market that we're focused on. And most of our customers have already started exploring, well, I already have a multi-mic methodology. How can I stop using, you know, uh, I was going to trip up and say uh, one of our defense contracts, but how do I stop using multiple microphones and get something into a form factor that's compact, but get the same bounce and the same punch from it. And to Hamid's point, we find that two microphones is effective uh, more than two gets to a point of, of, of diminishing, you know, diminishing returns after, I don't know, Hamid, what it's seven or eight for us. 
uh, it starts to kind of plateau where the, the, the additional microphones don't really give us a lot of benefit. So maybe uh, to come full circle here, uh, you, um, we, we, you know, you had asked if we could, um, with one microphone, uh, do, do everything. Um, why, why do we need more than one? The reality is that the way um, speech recognition and speaker recognition have been developed, they have, they have resorted to um, uh, machine learning technologies that require training on data. Mm -hmm. The reason they are all one microphone solutions or one channel solutions is because they uh, realize that when you have more than one microphone, then the whole training game becomes next to impossible. And so uh, the one microphone or one channel solution is only viable for speech recognition and speaker recognition uh, as it is currently constituted. But the reality is that microphones are cheap. Devices such as our smartphones have more than one microphone and they can give us the data that will help us solve the problem of getting rid of noise and giving the kind of voice information that speaker recognition or speech recognition can work with. And so uh, we bring the world of multiple microphones to speech recognition and speaker recognition because we at Yobi are not constrained to training data. The training data is only viable when you have only one microphone. Once you have more than one microphone, training data becomes uh, a, a next to impossible task. Mm, interesting. Who then, I mean, I can think of a lot of different ways that Yobi would fit into like the conversational AI pipeline. You know, it can be before the speech recognition engine. It could be on the device that captures the signal in the first place, on a phone, on a smart speaker, in a car, infotainment system, you know, all of this kind of stuff. You could probably have it in the call center, enhancing the ability to be able to analyze calls effectively. You know, there's a whole bunch of areas where this can be used. Most of the time, sitting in the front of the whole process the entry point to the whole interaction but what was what's like the i if in your minds you know what's your ideal either customer or ideal sort of use of the technology because it sounds like it can be used anywhere it's almost anywhere for anything so yeah. like, what, what's your sort of ideal yeah. client so to speak so, so there are some situations kane where we are uh, and i want to be careful i say this um, we are demonstrative <laughs> in, mm -hmm. in, in the results, right? Um, where it's not a marginal difference, it's, it's a substantial or exponential difference. Um, uh, and, and those situations would be, I guess, from a, from a use case standpoint, let's talk about those scenarios when you have a far-field voice and interference mm -hmm. is closer to the microphone, right? Uh, so right. now it's a signal-to-noise problem. Right. Uh, the voice is a lower signal. And, and so when we start talking about if we're using SNR as a gauge, 
we can go into the negative SNR ranges, negative 20, 25 dB SNR, where the noise is exponentially louder than the voice. And we can extract the voice in the way that you can still run that through a speech to text engine and you can get accurate speech to text transcription. Mm-hmm. Right? In, those, in those scenarios, it's going to be very hard to come up with a solution like ours that's agnostic to the form factor, is 100% on the cloud, and can adapt to things like user barge in and these scenarios that happen in everyday lives, like our solution, right? Um, but people have tons of use cases for, 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 for our technology. What we, focus on in, what we focus in on is, to your point, we can be deployed anywhere in the audio path, if you want to call it the audio path, mm-hmm. where we're comfortable is sitting right behind the condenser microphone. And the reason for that is, to, to Hamid's point around the mono microphone ecosystem. We'll do the multiple microphone capture and then we'll pass the single microphone off to our partners. And it's nice to do that. If you're on the earbud, I can pass it off through Bluetooth. If I'm on a cell phone, I pass it off in the audio path. There's a lot of different ways for us to package the single microphone output in a way that's convenient for us to do the manipulation and the computation on the edge device and do it in a way that fits into the ecosystem that already exists. So in those situations, we're, we're pretty bullish and we're pretty strong. And uh, Ken, what, what I would add to that is that the, in the looking to the future, we are not going to be as isolated from the world of speech recognition. We are not just preparing. In fact, I think our approach will spread into speech recognition and into speaker recognition that, that, that fully involves using the multi-microphone world that is at our disposal uh, and, and be able to integrate more closely what we are doing at the front end currently with what goes on inside speech recognition or speaker recognition. So. I am not prepared to say that we are not a speech recognition or not a speaker recognition company. We are. We do speech recognition and speaker recognition in noisy environments. For now, we uh, portray ourselves as being enablers so we can enable any speech recognition system or any speaker recognition system to work in noisy environments. But down the road, I can see uh, us developing the front-end solution much deeper into uh, the sphere of, you know, the higher-level conversational analysis uh, in terms of speaker recognition or uh, speech recognition. Mm. And, Kane, if I, if I can add to that, it's been our thesis that if we look at the on-the-edge capabilities, and Hamid's referencing our, our, our future model, if you want to look at our development roadmap, <coughs> We do think that knowing who's speaking to a device, understanding a limited command or something of that nature um, in noisy environments is part of what a conversational audio front end should capably give to their partners, mm-hmm. right? Because there's a lot of different things you can do with the fact of knowing it's Kane talking at this moment. Yeah, you can clean it up so you can understand the command. But think about the profile achieving effects that we can have when you're talking to a multi-user device mm. or the protocols around uh, what permissions do we give you to access different data or different information. It should be symbiotic where the voice becomes not just 
the tool you need for text-to-speech, it should become the identifier of who's giving that said command or asking for that. And we, our world, we see that as part of a package offering that we want to start to, to develop for our partners. So you know, we'll take care of identifying who's speaking. We'll do the, the audio processing in a way that's compatible with your back end. But back to that contextual data of getting as much information from that signal as possible, we want to basically be on the front end helping to basically extract some of that data we can pass it off to our customer so we can pass it off to our customer in a usable way. Mm. It's um, it's interesting, isn't it? Because isn't it funny how a lot of companies will start out solving a very specific problem? And I think that's the way to go about it in, in certainly in the voice AI and the conversational kind of space because there's so much beyond the high-level ASR and NLU that there's lots of very, very specific problems to solve. But it's funny how, you know, you start with solving a specific problem, as Yobi is doing, but immediately you can see other places where this relates. So you've mentioned their speaker detection. If you can detect speakers reliably, you can pretty much do voice authentication, which means that you can then compete with pin drop and nuance on and nice for, for voice biometrics. You've then got opportunities to go into things like TV uh, set-top boxes and stuff like that. Like TiVo, I think, is using pin drop to identify uh, the age profile of someone that uses a voice command on a TV. Mm-hmm. So if mm-hmm. someone, if, if, a, if a, I don't know, a 12-year-old says play the Saw trilogy or whatever, it'll say, well, actually, you're not old enough for this content, so uh, <laughs> screw you or whatever it might be. But it's like there's lots of areas where, you know, that kind of conversation intelligence is important. <clears throat> and if you can do that, then you can probably recognize people's emotions. You can probably do some some kind of sentiment analysis. And then you are really, <clears throat> you're, you're conversational, you're already conversational intelligence because you're already doing some very sophisticated kind of intelligible work on the voice signal but if you can do that as i'm what i'm trying to say is i suppose that there's no reason not to go into biometrics not to go into to conversation well, intelligence yeah. etc cetera, etc cetera, you know it's like a... so, so 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 let's be clear you know you know the guys that pin job pretty well that's a pretty robust solution right oh yeah <laughs> they're pretty they're pretty good at what they do and so you know i, I think our, our our approach is a little more measured and what i mean by that is all of these solutions that you mentioned require one thing in common. If they don't have a robust enough signal to pull out the markers they're looking for, then the accuracy is corroded, hmm. right? So it, it's not the use case that's driving it. It's the fact that where we sit in the audio path is critical for everyone behind us to operate at a high level of effectiveness, right? And so there's going to be some situations where when you're in low SNR environments where we're going to be a, a player in that space, not because we have the best, you know, uh, word recognizer or the best biometric solution. We have a, a biometric solution as, as well. Um, it's because of our robustness to the environment that allows us to operate at a higher level of effectiveness. And so we become the kind of the enabler for all those things to work. And so there is a whole nother scientific and, and technical part of what happens when you take this interesting artificial intelligence driven solution and you wrap it into the other things, right? Mm-hmm. So you wrap it into a keyword spotting where now you have the ability to tell 
the sensitivity level on your keyword spotter, well, what's happening in the auditory scene? I have to adjust accordingly because I see the markers associated with a high noise environment. What happens when I want to process a signal because Kane is already enrolled on this device and it gets ext extremely noisy, but I'm only looking for Kane's biometric signature. I'm not looking for anyone else. There's so many things that you can enhance by that ability for the front end to do the computational and the intellectual lifting to enable the partners on the back end to be a lot more effective and a lot more efficient. That's kind of the, the roadmap that we have in front of us at this point. Mm, nice, nice. That's wicked. That's really good stuff. That it's like, uh, yeah, it's it's. Uh, I can definitely see every like. There's no reason why every company that's doing anything to do with conversational AI in the voice channel won't need this because it's like the best the best results that speech recognition systems can get is around about ninety percent, ninety five if you really want to give it a super clean signal and that, and all that kind of stuff. Um, it's crazy. Is is there any other? You don't have to name names, obviously, because this would be uh, probably a bad idea. But <laughs> is is there any other companies doing anything like this? Because this is the first time I've come across this very specific kind of situation before. Is, is Yobi completely unique, or is is there anything? Yeah, has anyone I mean, else tried to solve this problem? You, you, that's a loaded question. You're talking to two founders here, right? We're <laughs> we're, we're gonna we're gonna drink the founder Kool Aid for a while. Uh, the truth of the matter is, yeah, there's there's other companies who are addressing different parts of the the problem, right? Uh, I think that you know we all know the usual suspects if you're looking at just what you would traditionally call a traditional AFE or audio front end that does the cleanup and noise cancellation. Um, there's very few that we haven't come across any that are focusing specifically on the things that back end speech recognizers need to be effective. They are more focused on the traditional way that we thought about it. And this is really just the evolution of the technology, Kane. You know, if you think about back before Knowles acquired Audience and other noise cancellation solutions, that's been the methodology, right? Try to suppress the noise. Mm. Um, so our approach to the problem is slightly different. So it has a different output. And so our approach is very unique. And then Hamid talked about things like, range filtering like that's not something from a technology standpoint that you hear which is the ability for us to know the distance of a sub voice from another voice uh, so when you put that into one package it creates a certain you know novel approach that that handles the problem in different ways but there are other solutions out there that noise cancel their way out and in certain situations they're extremely effective uh, if you have the ability to use you know uh, a server for computationally, we're, we're looking at uh, something that was done in one of the cards. Is it um, Nvidia has one uh, that is fantastic for gamers. Um, it, it, I mean, but the compute is pretty high. But mm. for that particular use case, it's extremely effective. We're mm. dealing with what we call real world, right? Where it's not canned. You walk outside with your cell phone. You have absolutely no clue what the auditory scene is going to be from one minute to the next. What that on edge. AI system allows us to do, what it really brings us is a lot of ability to be agile and adapt frame by frame to what's happening in the auditory scene. In those situations, to your point, we're not finding a lot of solutions that can do that. Uh, it's the difference, I use Hamid's analogy, the difference between being a race car driver and being a tractor trailer driver. 
Try to trailer driver is what you have to do in the modeling type of vernacular, right? It takes a while for you to adjust because you have so much weight and you have so much computate. We are a lot more agile um, uh, in the way that we deal with with how signals are coming in and, and, and doing it in real time. Mm, okay, Kane, let me nice. just say that in a slightly different way in, in my own spin on it. I, I think, you know, you asked, are we, uh, you know, are there others who are doing the same kind of stuff that we're doing? I think, uh, as Ken said, there are, but I think, uh, so sort of thinking on more of a grand scale, uh, we're proposing a paradigm shift. It's a paradigm shift on how to think about the cocktail party problem, not simply as a beam forming problem, uh, not uh, simply as a noise cancellation problem, uh, but rather as a more complicated acoustic problem in which artificial intelligence and specifically inferential artificial artificial intelligence really has to play a big part. But the nice thing about it is that it does not have to be computationally intensive. Uh, and the people often assume that because it's got artificial intelligence in it, it would have to be a computationally uh, very expensive solution. And as Ken earlier on mentioned, we, uh, the solutions we've come up with are uh, very realistic. You can put them on a little chip. You can even have them in your light switch. So you can talk to a light switch and have it uh, turn on and off on the basis of recognizing what you're saying and your identity. Applications like that, I think, are not too far in the future, uh, which will be enabled by technologies and I say that in plural, technologies like what Yobi has, but I think other companies uh, are going to do the same. And I hope there will be competition. I am scientifically trained and competition is good in, that, in the intellectual domain as well. Uh, of course, I'd like to see uh, Yobi do well commercially, uh, but there's no reason why others cannot uh, improve upon what we've already done. Uh, the cocktail party problem, the real world cocktail party problem has not been 100% solved. It's not like we're all done. No, <laughs> we've cracked it. And just because it's cracked, it doesn't mean it's been completely solved. We can solve it for yeah. certain commercially important real world applications. Nice, nice. You can actually get speakers with microphones in them that would allow you to talk to Alexa. I've been looking at them for my uh, the house that we're doing up at the moment. But if they're anything like the headphones that I've got, then the microphones are probably going to end up in the ceiling cavity and be completely useless. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us, Hamid Ken. This has been absolutely unbelievable. Uh, for those tuning in, go to yourbeinc.com to find out more. That's y o b e i n c dot com um, to to learn. More. And I, as I said, the, the last time I felt like this was when I interviewed um, uh, Qbox, Benoit Alvarez from Qbox. And Qbox had a, have a solution which allows people to analyze the performance of their NLU system. And lots of other companies have done something like that in the past. But Qbox was the first company to say, this is the only problem we care about and we're going to solve it really well and are solving it really well. And it kind of it was the first time I'd kind of come across technology that was thinking, you know, a lot of these platforms and a lot of these applications and stuff like that, they tend to go really broad and wide. 
and they're kind of good for what they do. You know, you know, Google, Microsoft, Amazon, they've got fantastic solutions, IBM. Um, but every now and then when you see something that's that's focused on a, on a very specific problem and really nailing that, it has an effect on the rest of the ecosystem, which is positive because a rising tide raises all ships, but also having the potential to we move beyond that one problem as you've suggested into future areas as well is is wicked so yobi is another company that is uh, it's every now and then i come across it where i think that's absolutely fantastic that because it knows what it's doing it's focused on a very specific problem there's clear benefits to the rest of the ecosystem and it's a clear need in in the market so it's, it's absolutely fantastic so thank you for for joining us and sharing your story it's been wicked well thank you for Can't having thank us. you for having us appreciate it Cool. Uh, for everybody tuning in, please do go to voicesummit.ai and do check out the tickets uh, for the event on October the 11th, presented by Core AI, VUX20 to save 20% off, and VUX.world forward slash cognitive to register to the workshop that we're running next week on how to improve your customer experience maturity. Ken Hamid, this has been absolutely fantastic. Also, go to yobiinc.com to learn more about that as well. This is weird. Cool. See you on the next one. Thanks, Ken.